Monday of game week, it's just different. It hits different. It feels different. It's uh, something that has been in my blood my whole life. So when you listen to Red Dirt music, it's like that last Rebel sound to me. It is a combination of uh, Southern rock and jazz and uh, bluegrass. And, and for Skip Bayless to come out and say, I don't feel bad for him and kind of belittle him and say, how dare you? How dare you as the leader of America's team show weakness? Honestly, I want to say what I want to say. This is the Sam Mays Podcast. Welcome to the Sam Mays Podcast. I'm Sam Mays. Today, we're talking to Pete Mundo, owner of HeartlandCollegeSports.com and program director and morning show host at KCMO in Kansas City. Pete, how are you, sir? Sam, I am doing great. I am uh, grateful to be on with you and, and ready to talk some football and wherever else it takes us. We are just a, a few days away from the Big 12 kicking off here, and I know you, as just as well as I am, are, are thrilled that we have some college football to cover. Uh, it's been a pretty crazy few months where – uh, I don't know about you, but in, in April, I was like, there's no way in hell. I'm not going to have a job. Uh, the, the world is ending. Why are we talking about sports? There's so much more important things. But the reality is, Pete, uh, we, we, we've got to just move on. We've got to learn to live with COVID. And uh, it's really kind of been a, a blessing for all of us that the Big 12 SEC and, and ACC uh, decided to go ahead and compete this fall. Yeah, it is. And, and Sam, I mean, you know this, we both work in radio and uh, we think that way anyway. We all think that we're going to get fired next week, right? So <laughs> Absolutely. Throwing throw a pandemic and budget cuts and everything else that, you know, the industry and many other industries too are dealing with. And uh, that just heightens our, our concern uh, across the board. So I was feeling you there back in April, wondering what the heck was going to happen. But, you know, I, I think for a lot of us, at least myself, I'm sitting here, I'm thinking about, college football or the big 12 starting this weekend since I know college football can get in played for a couple of weeks and for me it's going to be a chance to just sit back and and be on the couch and and watch football and you know I'm going to have my two-year-old running around and it's going to feel normal and there's really nothing about the last six months that has felt normal now yes there won't be fans in the stands and, and that may be noticeable to some degree but being able to be like, you know what, I can sit down this weekend and have a beer and know that at 11 a.m. I got games kicking off uh, until, you know, 7, 9 o'clock at night. There's going to be a part of that for me that's just going to be warm, refreshing. It's going to feel good. And frankly, I think it's something that a lot of us have been waiting a long time for since, you know, the Big 12 tournament got canceled, which I was I'm up here in Kansas City, where, of course, the Big 12 basketball tournament is. And I remember sitting in Power and Light District, uh, the day it gets canceled on Thursday afternoon, having a beer with a buddy, the place is a ghost town. And I'm like, this, this world's never going to be the same. Like, what the hell is going to happen here? And uh, it feels like it's been six years, not six months, but I'm glad we're here today. You know, the, the term normal, right? Like, just to, when you said it, it, it kind of just radiated through my head. It's like normal. What is, what is normal uh, as I'm sitting here in my uh, house studio where I've had to uh, do my radio show for what it seemed like for weeks and weeks and weeks. And I'm sitting here, uh, you know, trying to figure out ways to um, generate revenue streams for my family, just find a way to get through this COVID era. And, and you're right, you know, the, the thought of having uh, just a normal college football Saturday to start my day at 6am or 7am, 
uh, with the sound of college game day and hearing Lee Corso's voice uh, will be just something that is peaceful to me almost. It's like the, the noise of, of college football is going to bring me peace this Saturday. And I cannot wait to, to take a big old bite out of that. Right. It's like, I, I want that so bad. It's just been this, no. this crazy few months. No, I, I think you're right. I mean, anytime there's a, a crisis, something traumatic, whether it's a personal or, a, or for a region or for a country, uh, things like sports can bring us together or can at least give us that sense of normalcy. And I think college football is going to do that as well as any sport, uh, just because it's going to have, it's got that tradition around it. It's got that pomp and circumstance that, that uh, pro sports just don't have. Uh, they can't duplicate that. And, and anyone who's a college sports fan over a pro sports fan, which I consider myself into that category, uh, that's part of the reason for it. That's, that's one of the reasons I, I, I feel that way about college football. And there's that history there. And, and certainly that's something that for me, come Saturday, uh, the pageantry, the game day, you know, the kickoff sounds, all those different things, it's going to be nice. It's going to feel good. And, and I'm just itching to get there and, and, um, and feel that, that, that normalness, even if it's just for a few hours, even if by Sunday and Monday it's, it's back to where we're at, at least for a few hours, it'll, it'll feel really, really good. As if the pandemic, Pete, wasn't uh, enough, um, I am, for one, I'm very thankful for the current social justice conversations around uh, civil rights here in the United States. Um, you know, you're, you're seeing a group of affluent African-American men who play in our national you know, professional sports leagues that are using their platform to hopefully uh, have an impact and, and really affect some change, whether it is from a voting standpoint uh, or uh, p- police reform, uh, financial reform, whatever it's, it's going to take. And this is a conversation that probably should have been, uh, been had a, a long time ago, but for the first time in 50 or 60 years is being had today. And there's this outcry from people who are demanding you know, this is this is not what sports are for. We just just stick to sports. We don't want to hear you guys have this conversation because of what you and I just described a second ago. Right. Sports is peace to us. It's normalcy to us. It's a relaxing uh, thing. And, and not often do you have these uh, intense conversations wrapped up in them. But it's something that we have to do. It's something that has to be done. And I'm like I said, I'm thankful for uh, the conversation that these guys are having. But I'm very I'm very curious you know, what, what are your thoughts and, and how has it been in Kansas City uh, as far as your listening base and, and how have they handled it? Well, it'll be interesting here because, you know, we've got the piece kicking off the NFL season uh, tonight and nobody knows what exactly uh, the social justice angle is going to be in terms of watching the broadcast. And that's where a lot of people are keeping a, a close eye on. And, you know, it's, it's split 50-50. It, it, it is. I mean, I, I understand. And obviously you and I come at this from a different angle. You are a black man. I'm a white white man, so we come at this thing from a different perspective. White, or white, Pete? Right like place. extra white? Is that what you meant? <laughs> not, not extra white, but pretty white. Um, so you know, I, I'm saying I don't, I don't, I don't mind it being part of the conversation, but I do. For me, sports is a chance to say, hey, whatever's going on in my life that that um, I may not want to think about for the next three, four hours. I don't have to. I don't have to think about politics and the news cycle and all that. But I also understand what you're saying, where a conversation needs to be had. Now, what I would like to see is a couple of things where what does that conversation look like? If, if we're talking about, um, you know, in the case of the NFL, promoting charities, Patrick Mahomes does a ton of great work up here. And if it's doing things like, hey, 
let's let's promote Patrick Mahomes charity for a minute during the, the broadcast and say, here's how you can donate and get involved and help young people in Kansas City who might be, you know, in at risk situations and, and give them a shot at a better, better lot in life. I think that's great. If it's the politics of, let's say, the organization Black Lives Matter, I, I there's myself and a lot of people that just don't want to hear that because I don't agree with the sentiments of the organization, even though I firmly believe in the expression itself. Um, so I think that's, that's where I want to see what that conversation looks like from the players, from the teams, uh, from the broadcast themselves as well. I just hope it's inclusive and, and um it's something that we can all rally around because we all believe that Black Lives Matter. We all believe that we want to help people in our community end up with a better lot in life. And yes, when there are people who are in law enforcement or anywhere else abusing those privileges, we want to hold them accountable. Can that be done in a unifying manner in 2020? It's going to be tough, but I hope it can be. Yeah, no, I'm, I'm right there with you. Um, you know, as far as the Black Lives Matter conversation goes, I can just tell you from a, a black man leadership in the african-american community has never necessarily been uh, great right it's been really kind of the downfall of of many movements uh, whether it's just within the community or things like this where there's a, a cry outwards that of of wait a minute uh, look at this we need help here because there's this systematic uh, life that we're living that is just preventing any real growth within our community and someone it it, it we can't do it on our own right like the black community mm-hmm. can't change these things on their own. That conversation needs to be had and people need to recognize what's happening. And that, that the only way to get those things fixed is when people with knowledge, right? Well, th- this is mm-hmm. what's happening in my community. You know, why isn't there a grocery store in Midwest city here on the East side of Oklahoma city, where the majority of people that live there are people of color. There's no grocery store. Like, it's just like, and it's, and it's amazing how um, little things like that go unchecked and unnoticed and, uh, so that to hear these things and have people, you know, make change immediately is, is a positive thing. That's all part of this platform that, you know, the NBA has helped a ton. And, and uh, obviously what you're seeing with George Floyd's uh, murder, what happened in Wisconsin and all these things, like all of it is, is, is helping positive things happen, but that's only happening when people decide to talk about it. So to keep the conversation going is important. Tonight, if the Kansas City Chiefs decide to kneel as a team, I, for one, am am here for that. I'm a military brat. My father served in 82nd Airborne. He's a West Point graduate, top of his class. Military is in my blood. And he flat out told me the reason I was in the military is because everybody should have the right to kneel. So I'm hoping to see that uh, tonight. But I'm very also interested to see what the the outcry is. You know, the Oklahoma City Thunder decided to kneel here uh, during the bubble period, and Oklahomans lost their minds. Local politicians were talking about take away their tax benefits and all kinds of crazy shit. And it just, I'll be curious to know, you know, with Patrick Mahomes, who is, uh, you know, obviously Kansas City's favorite son right now, part owner of the Royals and uh, looking to repeat in the Super Bowl and a half billion dollar contract. If he kneels, I'm curious to know what Kansas City fans will say or what they'll do. Yeah, uh, it's going to be very interesting. Um, to your point about the Thunder thing, that got some traction up here because uh, our mayor said, hey, if, if the Thunder want to move up here, we'll take you. If, you know, people aren't satisfied down there in Oklahoma City. So that got a little bit of traction. Obviously, no one expected it to happen, but uh, that was a, an interesting moment. I expect something to happen uh, with Mahomes, uh, like what you're alluding to. But here's the thing, you know, Mahomes is kind of, uh, Michael Jordan-esque, uh, Reagan-esque in the sense of, of 
if there's someone who can thread that needle and, and try to appease uh, both sides, so to speak, in this conversation, I do believe it's him in a way that a LeBron James can't. I just think that Patrick Mahomes, uh, the, the maturity that he has, uh, the ability to kind of have more of a, a unifying message, uh, I've been impressed by for a guy that's in his mid-20s. I, I, I think that he can do that. He can do it well. And, uh, yeah, people are going to be upset with him. I mean, you know, there are people saying, I, I'm not going to watch tonight no matter what. Well, the ratings are going to tell the story. If the ratings are where they're expected to be and they're big and um, all that is bluster, then guess what? That's not going anywhere. But here, here's my, my fear with the NFL. My fear with the NFL is that they overcorrect from the Colin Kaepernick stuff, which they made a mistake with, right? And if they overcorrect and go too far into embracing politics, then that, that could backfire on them. I mean, we've seen that with the NBA ratings being down uh, pretty big. So I just hope they, they it's good to admit you made a mistake. They seem to have admitted that. But do they overcorrect on that mistake? Because that's not good for anybody either. No, I, I would agree to that. Uh, also, like, I'll say this. You know, I think that's – I mean, I'm, I'm curious to know what – what an overcorrection looks like for the NFL. I, I think if they were headed in that direction, Kaepernick would have been forced onto a roster. You know what I mean? Like you would, he, he would be somewhere in this league right now. And he still is not, you know, the reality is there's a bunch of bad quarterbacks that are going to start in the NFL and Colin Kaepernick probably has a better arm. And obviously, uh, an experience of a Super Bowl that would make him a better option for probably 10 teams in this league. And he's still not on the team. So well, let me ask, Sam, do you think Colin genuinely? Do you think Colin Kaepernick wants to be on an NFL roster right now? You know what? The answer, honest answer for you, Pete, is no. I don't because if he did, he would be on one. Like the the last yeah. workout situation that he had, he wore a fucking Fidel Castro shirt, and he's got know. some, that's, you know, why, yeah. the weird socks and and shit like that. Like I, I get it. He's disgruntled. He's upset. That's also a young man, and he's hot around the collar. And I said dumb shit when I was in my twenties. Uh, also, but the, the, do do you want to play in the NFL? Yes or no, right? Yes yeah. or no. If you want to, if the answer is yes, then find your way into a team and do whatever that team is going to need you to do to make that happen. And then when you're done playing football or when you get on that team and you have performed at a level where they've got to have you start for them, then you can talk to that team about what it looks like from a philanthropy standpoint and move forward. You got to give Colin Kaepernick credit here. He puts his money where his mouth is. That dude is is as active in the African-American community and social justice conversation as anybody in the country right now. So he is a believer, a lot like Kenny Stills is, right? I mean, he absolutely is engaged in these things. But I, I hate this whole, I can't believe Colin Kaepernick is not on the NFL team. And I want to tell people he is almost as much at fault at this point in the last two years as the NFL is, right? I mean, he's he's got to, yeah. he's got to, if he wants to play, you have to learn how to, one, forgive the injustices that were done to you and get yourself back back on the field, back on the roster. Because the reality is, no matter if you're white or black or Asian or Mexican, whatever it might be, NFL teams want to know one thing about you. Is football the most important thing in your life? Yes or no? And if the answer is no, they will look at you crazy, right? I mean, they just will. So until yeah. he makes that decision for the NFL to be the most important thing in his life, then they're not going to bring him in. Like, this is why the the uh, the Tim Tebow thing was as crazy as it was. Like, I couldn't imagine bringing Tim Tebow into my program uh, after what went down in Denver. Who the hell wants that distraction? Not me, right? That's And that's a religious no. thing. You got 50 guys in a locker room, Pete. Come on. And, and we got no, the, I, yeah, I mean, it just doesn't make any sense. 
Absolutely. Um, and that's, that's where I'm kind of at with, with Kaepernick at this point. I mean, I think if someone offered him, uh, you know, five, 10 million bucks, I, I don't think he'd take it Agreed. Uh, because also, I, I mean, you're right. All right. He's given some money in, but I think a big part of his brand now is tied to what happened. That is his brand. If he goes back, even if he's a backup and never, never sees the field, the, the branding is gone. And you know what? I, I think it's hypocritical kind of how he's built this brand a little bit because some of the things that you mentioned, I'm glad he's given the money back. I'll never uh, knock him for doing that and be involved with the charity work. I think that's great for anybody. Uh, but I do think that his brand is built on what happened a few years ago. And if he, you know, goes to a, a team and, and steps on a field, um, you know, that, that, that what he's built is, is changed. So I think right now, in terms of if you're in the business of Colin Kaepernick, the brand, you don't want to be on an NFL roster. Right. Right. Yeah, I mean that's a, that's a really good point. I'll be curious to see what Cap is is up to with in this football season. Uh, if he is more visible, you know, as far as that social justice conversation, I haven't seen a whole lot of him in the last couple of months, and that that is interesting to me. Also, as uh, I think all of us, you know, who have a a position of power here and uh, that look like me are are saying what we can because we feel free for the first time to say what we can. I mean, I'm a I'm a 38 year old black. Uh, radio host in Oklahoma City, Pete. My audience is 55 and above year old white dudes. Like I can't say mm-hmm. two things that are too black. I can't talk about uh, black culture uh, too much. I I have to be a certain. I can only go so far, and that's is that's. There's nothing written down that says that. But come on now, if I want to compete with Jim Traber, who's my direct competition, who who is a 55 year old white man with 55 year old white views, uh, I've got to be something that is a little bit different than maybe what I actually am. Like I know that mm-hmm. in the last, but I think too, isn't it, isn't it a chance too to celebrate? Like I think Sam, your story is, is, is pretty great. I mean, you're right. You're doing afternoon drive in Oklahoma city as a, as a black man in that state, in that city. I mean, it doesn't that we always talk about, yes, there's a ways to go and, and we can always do better and improve. But I look at your story and I say, I mean, who would have thought that would have been the case a generation ago. Right. Right. Yeah, no, Absolutely. Uh, absolutely. I also feel like if I was um, if I was a white guy, that maybe my path to get to this point would be a little uh, less rocky, you know. And and so the the reality is, uh, y- yes, is change happening? Yes. Am I better off now than my father was or my grandfather? Or any of those things? The answer is yes. But it's just moving too slow. All right. If when I'm in the hospital, um, t- two things happened the night that my son was born. Two days before my son, Deacon, was born, there was an unarmed black man shot in Tulsa by a police officer. I get my ex-wife in the car, and her water is broken, and we're about 30 minutes from the hospital. And I'm telling myself, hey, don't drive crazy, because if you get pulled over, your reaction to that is going to be less than positive, right? You're going to be waving your hands or trying to get the cop up to the car because you've got a high-risk baby coming into the world, and you've got to get to the hospital. That's something that not everybody man has to think about when he's driving his wife to the hospital. The next thought that comes that same night was I'm sitting in the hospital room and Deacon's on his way into the world. He's probably five minutes before he's actually officially born. And I literally said, God, please let him be light like his sister, the color of his skin. That's a thought. That's an actual thought that went through my head as my son was being born because his life will be easier if he's a lighter, lighter than me right? Lighter than his father. My daughter's got blue eyes and she's got very far, fair skin in the wintertime. She looks like a white kid from a, from a distance that that's going to help her in life. Her name not being 
uh, something that people recognize as a black name is going to help her in life. These are all things that I've got to think about as an African-American man uh, in my everyday stuff. And I'm tired of having to do that. And I'm tired of having, and I hope that my kids don't have to do those things. Right. Mm That's, that's where I'm at with, with these things. You're right. Things are way better in 2020 than they have been in the past. But the fact that I'm still having those thoughts just lets you know how much more work we've got to, we've got to do. Right. I mean, that, that's just it. So I would rather do all the work now as hard and as fast and as intense as we can. Let's have some real change made. And you know what, maybe in the uh, sunset of my life, I will walk outside and walk down my street in a nice neighborhood and see a police officer drive past and not have my whole asshole pucker up. Right. Like that's, Mm -hmm. that's what I'm looking for uh, in the next 20, 30 years. And I'm hoping that my kid has that same experience as a 30 or a 25 year old. I'm hoping that he's able to go out and not feel like he's being profiled or being followed or being worrying about things that, you know, fortunately for you and your kids and and that you really never had to think about. Right. I'm hoping those things happen. So um, you're right. Change is is being made now, but it it definitely can move a little faster for the rest of us, I think. And what I mean, and I, I, you know, agree with the sentiments that you just said. What is that from a, a, a policy? What does that change look like? Because I, I agree, we want people in general to just, you know, look at each other and say, "Hey, that's 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 Sam, that's Pete, whatever it might be." And we're not seeing me as a white guy, you as a black guy. What what does that change policy wise mean? Because there's also some studies I was reading recently, Sam, that concerned me, where I saw. The more we talk about race, actually, the worse our race relations get. So I know it. Is that something that can backfire? I, I think that the, the first thing we need to acknowledge is my my son and daughter, Evie and Deacon, even I would say kids right now that are 15 and below, which is hilarious to me because the 15-year-olds will be voting in four years. Those kids are pissed, and they see no color, and they are embarrassed by the way that people act in this country. And if you look at TikTok – and the conversations that those very young people are having, I think we are much closer to some real change just based off of those 15-year-olds will vote here in just a few years. This next presidential election race, there's going to be a bunch of 18-year-olds that have lived through a pandemic, lived through all these race conversations, and are absolutely irate that their classes of t- and their classmates, who they all hang out with, it's pop culture, it's rap music, it's it's... Uh, it's art and and their the way that they dress. They you can't tell the difference between a white kid and a black kid and the way that they dress anymore at all. So there's a younger generation that currently is living the life that I would like to live, and they will be a part of our conversation here very soon. the The change for me comes with it's it's police reform, it is acad- academic reform, it is. Like, tell me why, for example, Pete, I'm from Northeastern Ohio, Youngstown area. I played in a conference called the Steel Valley. This is a conference that the majority of, I'll say, 45 and above-year-old coaches in the country know exactly where this is and the kind of football that's played in that region uh, in Youngstown. I played high school ball with Maurice Claret. He was the starting running back on my team uh, until his my senior season where Maurice got into an argument with the high school basketball coach about some shoes, and he transferred to Warren Harding. Warren Harding is an incredible school, um, big-time football program, but the graduates of Warren Harding, because this is in in a black community, the graduates of Warren Harding are graduating with an eighth-grade reading level. They get the worst teachers. They have the worst school supplies. They have all these things because the way the taxes are done in school systems, right? So how how exactly do we expect 
like education would help the African American community more than anything. Like if you tell me that little Deacon, my son, and I live in Edmond, Oklahoma, which is a, you know, back in the day, people would have called it a white flight town. He's going to get an excellent education. He's going to have all the iPads and computers and, and weird science classes and teachers that are fun and dress up and projects. And all. he's going to have a great education because this is where we live. I work hard so we can stay living here, right? How do those kids in Warren Harding better themselves? How do they find a way to get into this new age of learning and education and social media and internet and all those things? They can't. But you know what Warren Harding is doing? Putting some 20-something kids in Division One football every other year. And now those kids are on college campuses going, great, here's my shot. And they're not thinking, here's my shot at education. Here's my shot at, at bettering my life down the road so I can get a good career. You know why? Because they have no fundamental background on how to study, how to learn, how to ask questions, how to do any of that shit. And now they're on a college campus with a bunch of white people telling them, it's going to be okay. I'm going to make your schedule. And what they're doing with these schedules is, yeah, cool. You've got learning to learn at nine o'clock. And I've got a professor that's a friend of the program, quotations, that's going to be your comp one professor. And we're going to find a way with this tutor who's not going to write your, your paper for you, which is a lie, is going to help you pass these basic classes to get you two years in this school, which is all we think you're going to last anyway before you go pro or before we can't hide the fact that you are not dumb, but incapable of taking advantage of a college education. Like this is, this is a real story that 50% of division one athletes have 50% of them. Yeah. They get on campus and they're like, what the fuck do I do now? And, and, and so it's things like, like that Warren Harding situation with the eighth grade reading levels that something needs to happen in these communities. That's going to allow them to afford more teachers, better teachers, better materials. So they're leaving school with some sort of power. I'm not saying every kid needs to go to college, Half the damn white kids in Edmond right now that go to college fail out after their freshman year because they party too damn much. Like, I'm, college isn't for everybody. But there's more people in the African-American community that deserve those opportunities, but they just don't have a way to get themselves prepared for them. And that's because their public school system fails them. Like, that would be a huge deal. Education is a huge deal. If I was in charge, I would start there probably. I, I, I think that's a good place to start. And I, I'm glad you brought up uh, college isn't for everybody because I think, I, I think more people of every color need to be looking at trade schools in this country right now. I mean, I'll tell you Absolutely. what, I'd rather walk out with a trade school degree as a plumber than walk out of school with $100,000 in debt with a, a sociology degree that's going to get me no job. I just think that that's a conversation in, in the urban community, in the suburban community, and in rural America that should be getting pushed extensively. We don't do it enough because we have convinced ourselves that a four-year degree somehow leads to some type of success when millions of, of young people are sitting there with the combined uh, trillions of dollars in student loan debt. I mean, it's, it's crazy what we're doing to ourselves. Uh, and I think that's an easy thing that, that can be implemented, yes, maybe with some funding at the federal and state level to get kids back into trade schools. I mean, I tried to hire a plumber uh, three weeks ago, the guy's like, yeah, I might be able to get you in next Monday. Um, it's crazy the shortage that we have. And these guys end up pulling in. You know, the guy walked into my house, and I paid him 120 bucks for being there for half an hour. I mean, it's unbelievable right. how uh, we aren't pushing more of that uh, amongst every background. Uh, so I agree with you there, Sam. I think there's, there's definitely something to be said for that. And then I would also, you know, harp on um, kind of tying in the education to – you know, what I see and, and what we thing we do up here in Kansas City is, you know, there are there are school vouchers in some cases where 
you can get kids out of urban parts of, of Kansas City into some suburban school districts. And I think that helps too, because that gives more options because you're right. I mean, the urban school districts are, are crap. And yes, it's tied to property taxes and where you are. And I get that. Um, but that's where I think that just changing the whole public school system, I, I think is, is long overdue because of some of the reasons uh, that you're mentioning there. So how we get there, maybe that's a, a different conversation. Uh, but certainly, I mean, no one's going to deny that the education has got to improve. And then also, I think there's something to be said for just, uh, you know, the individualist, individualistic nature of, of what we do, right? Having, I think there's still a value, no matter what your skin color is, to, to nuclear families and, and to, to, to living that way that I think has proven to be a success, white, black, Asian, Latino. As far as, you mean just like the, the family unit in itself? Yeah. Yeah, yeah, the family unit itself. Yeah, no, I, I would I would agree to that a hundred percent. You know, I think that the family conversation. I mean, how the divorce rate in the United States is uh, over fifty percent. Families are being broken up left and right every single day, and you lose uh, every every time that fraction happens. You just lose a little bit of something, right? Uh, a mm-hmm. little bit of of cohesiveness that doesn't make um, development of of the individual, the young, the kid easy i mean it's it's a very it's harder to you know to raise kids that have been through uh, divorces and, and things like that especially when you start talking about these young athletes especially in the african-american community um when you look at guys like snoop dogg and um you know and and jay prince down in houston and uh you know it's there's just a bunch of dudes that have come up with these little league football leagues that they absolutely help these guys physically get better from a very young age. But a lot of it also is, Hey, we're going to make sure you're getting the grades. We're going to make sure you're doing your homework. We're going to make sure that you're getting meals at home every single night. We're going to make sure your mom is going to work. We're going to make sure your house is clean. We're going to make sure that your experience, you know, as a child is childlike and it's allowing these kids to come out of these, these, football programs these little league football programs and become stars right guys that are playing big time college football guys that are going to the nfl guys that are giving back to the community and it and it starts with you know hands-on we know your situation here in compton we're going to make sure that you survive it and thrive in it uh and and that's you know it's those guys aren't they're not you know they're not social workers they're not politicians they're rappers and uh, musicians and producers and people that just understand that there's a need in their community uh, for improvement and they're doing it in, in the right way. Right. And it's just attention to detail and making sure that, you know, that I hate to use the, the term, but making sure that no kid is left behind basically. Yeah. No, I, and I think those are awesome organizations and you know, the fact that uh, they're out there, they're doing that work and they're, you know, whether it's Patrick Mahomes or Snoop Dogg or anybody else that's kind of putting their money where their mouth is. I, I think more of that is, is good. And, um, you know, I think there's also something to be said for for the fact that that is also, you know, continuing the idea that um, the education system does need massive, massive reform when uh, people are looking for, for things like some of the programs that you're talking about outside of school and, and different charter school opportunities and whatnot. I think that's, that's all part of the equation, Sam. I'm, I'm on board with you there. All right, Pete, let's uh, let's dive into a little little sports as much as I appreciate the 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 social justice conversation and you killed it by the way thank you so much for that i i've got to uh, ask you you know it's you not you're you're in the same city as patrick mahomes I, I don't know about you but i fan i fangirl every time i see the guy on television i love him i think he is a hell of a player i think he is a great 
young and current face of the NFL. I think he's got this happy-go-lucky, I'm a big, giant kid having the time of my life vibe to him, and he just is so entertaining to watch. I can't help but smile every time I see him on a football field. I know they've got a game tonight, and we're not going to preview that because this podcast will be released after uh, this game is played. But I'm, I'm curious to know, do the Kansas City, City Chiefs have the mindset to repeat? Does Patrick Mahomes have enough in his tank to repeat? Because a lot of, I mean, when I look at this team, I, I hate to say this, but I think they might be better than they were a year ago. They were. They, I think they could be, Sam. I mean, it's crazy to think about it. But uh, absolutely, to answer your question, absolutely. They should be the favorites to repeat and to win the Super Bowl this year. And, I mean, just think about uh, the guys they've got coming back. You know, they lock up Mahomes to that half a billion dollar deal, which is even incredible to say. You know, guys like Chris Jones up the defensive line, back, Tyree Kill, the offense, the weapons are all there just like they were. Um, so they absolutely should be the favorites. And the way that, that this city has embraced uh, this team, and specifically Mahomes, is, is incredible. And, and to his credit, he is not one of those guys. And maybe it's because he went to Texas Tech. And I know, you know, we've already talked in Big 12, but maybe it's going to a place like Texas Tech where you're not the Texas Longhorns quarterback. You're not the Oklahoma Sooners quarterback. You're out in Lubbock. You know, you're kind of forgotten about out there. And he was also a guy who was under-recruited coming out of high school. I think he was maybe a high three-star guy. I don't think he was a four-star player or definitely wasn't a five-star guy. And um, kind of getting overlooked, kind of getting used to being that under-the-radar, smaller town. And he's loved Kansas City for that. I mean, he's, he's bought a home here. He's comfortable here. He's obviously not here all year round. He goes back to Texas. But uh, it has been the perfect marriage. And he's not one of those guys who said, i got to be in L.A. or New York or whatever it might be, um, he has put Kansas City on the map in a way that I think when all is said and done, he will transform this city in the way that Peyton Manning uh, helped transform Indianapolis just in terms of, of commerce, incredible. of business, and all those different things. Absolutely incredible. I love it. I love it. I hadn't even considered, um, you know, that 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 re- what that looks like. You know, the, the, the Peyton Manning reference is beautiful. Indianapolis is uh, an awesome city. It's got a ton of culture and uh, great people. And, you know, Indianapolis is something I'm familiar with because it's only like three or four hours away from Cleveland. Like, that's just one of those cities that I've been through uh, several times. But the reality is people want to act like Peyton Manning invented it. <laughs> you know, like he, you know, yeah. Indianapolis is uh, on the map. You know, Indianapolis 500 has nothing on on Peyton Manning and what he did with the, in that Colts uniform. And I, I think you might be absolutely right as far as Patrick, Patrick Mahomes and the overall a view of Kansas City, which is a great town. I mean, a great town. Every time I get up to Kansas City, I have a blast. It's got awesome culture. It's got great food, uh, casinos, the downtown area. It's great. You mentioned the Power Light District. I love Kansas City. Uh, and it's just, you know, one of those flyover states that people just tend to uh, ignore. Well, I'll tell you right now, they've got one of the brightest stars in all of sports there. And I promise you, the world is watching. And I'm, I'm very curious to know you know, what Kansas City's got in the tank. I mean, it's a, it's an obvious choice. I mean, I can answer the question for you. I'm sure you're picking Kansas City to win the division and, and to play to compete for a Super Bowl again this year. I, absolutely. I, I mean, there's no doubt about it. Um, and, you know, the kind of what you were just saying there, I mean, think about what's going to be happening every time the Chiefs are on national TV. Uh, you know, you get out the blimps. They're going to be flashing downtown, parts of the city. I mean, you can't pay for that type of advertising to get it in front of 10 to 20 million fans. Uh, every time, I mean, your your Chamber of Commerce, your Visitors Bureau does not have the budget to get that type of free advertising or any advertising out there 
in front of a, a nationwide audience. So there are all these little things that, that um, you know, can transpire. Hey, a developer says, geez, you know, I'm watching this Chiefs game. Never really thought of um, Kansas City as a place on the map, but boy, it looks great. I got to get out there, check it out, see what's going on. We're building a brand new airport up here, single terminal, 40 gate airport up here that's uh, long overdue. That'll be done just before the NFL draft comes to town in 2020. Three, I believe it is. Um, so all these things are kind of in line. They've been in the works. And Mahomes is kind of the icing on the cake to, to potentially help take uh, a city like Kansas City to that to that next level. Let's, uh, let's switch gears, talk a little Big 12 action. I know you were also equally as excited to cover the college football season. Uh, the Big 12 is is in a very let – me, let me ask you this question before I, before I throw it out there. Do you think that the Big 12 will be a better overall football conference this year than it has been in the last five years? It would depend on your definition of of better. Uh, I think it can be deeper one through nine than it's been in the past few years. I I do not know if Oklahoma, if this Oklahoma team, based on what I know right now, what we know right now, you know, there's missing pieces, Kennedy Brooks opting out, Jalen Redmond. um, But I don't think this Oklahoma team can beat uh, the Baker Mayfield Oklahoma team that lost in the Rose Bowl. I I don't think it could. But I think from one through nine, this team has the depth that it's had for a few years. But, boy, it just feels like every year, Sam, I mean, we can make a case, and we can do it right now, make a case for West Virginia uh, going and beating Texas, Oklahoma State, and maybe even OU if things click right. So from a better standpoint, one through nine, diversity of offenses, defensive schemes, more defense in this league than there's been, I think, in in over 10 years. I, I love that. But at the top, like, I don't think this Oklahoma team, which should be the favorite to win the conference, could beat the Oklahoma team of, of Kyler Murray or Baker Mayfield. Interesting. We we are very much on the same page here as far as the conference and uh, the overall brand of football that's being played. You know, I, I think I, I think you're a little higher on West Virginia than I am. But I think when you <laughs> consider, I mean, let, let's just talk about run games, right? It's run games and, and the game of football will always be um, a, a huge part of, of what success looks like. People want to act like, because Mike Leach in, in the early 2000s decided he was just going to run some bullshit. I hate the spread offense more than anything. Uh, it, it's the great equalizer in, in the game, right? You take the spread offense, you spread everybody out, you put a bunch of mid-level athletes out there that just know how to run routes. You find a quarterback that doesn't have a huge arm, but he's accurate as all get out, and you just nickel and dime people to death, and you win games like that, right? Well, Leach won games like that. The problem is he won games that he shouldn't have won like that. You beat Oklahoma. You beat Texas. Next thing you know, Bob Subson and uh, and uh, Mac Brown are looking around like, "What the fuck are we doing?" Like, what? We, clearly, yeah. this is the future. And so they 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 make this change, right? They change their offense. Well, when Oklahoma changes their offense and Texas changes their offense, and Mike Gundy took Les Miles' offensive system just shit all over it when he took that job just a year later. Now this league turns into this cookie cutter. I'm going to air it out, air raid, spread offense league, and every elite defender in the country who's got any sort of person around them helping them make their decision realizes for the best, the best thing for my career at this point would be to not play in the Big 12. That secondary members, 
That is elite defensive ends that are going after, uh, uh, going after, getting after the passer. That's defensive tackles that are traditional 330 pound. You know, I'm going to eat up space, keep the center on the line of scrimmage. Um, I'm ready to stop the run, guys. They're not coming to the Big 12, and they stop coming. Well, now defense sucks. Offenses are great, but you can't win championships that way. And no one has won a championship that way. If you want to say that Auburn did, cool. They had Cam Newton, who was the greatest player on the planet at the time doing it. You know what I mean? So Yeah, no, I, I, I agree. Um, I, I, I Certainly what Mike Leach did was innovative, but I agree. It kind of set the conference back in some ways. Right. But also, I think that that came at an interesting time with all of realignment, right? Where you, you know, you lost Nebraska that loved kind of having that Indomitian coup and, 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 you know, they knew how to play that side of the ball well. Uh, you know, you had kind of the, the, the reset of the conference with uh, Texas A&M leaving. That helped the SEC. Nebraska to the Big Ten. They kind of became the clear one-two in college football. Colorado bounces as well. Uh, Missouri bounces. So it was kind of this perfect storm where the Big 12, you're right, is going through this on-field um, you know, renovation or, or revolution. And then also you have the realignment, um, which, which, you know, took time to kind of develop a, a, a good uh, pitch around it. I mean, I think having TCU in the conference is great. I think the Mountaineers are a great uh, program as well for the Big 12. But it took time for everybody to kind of mold to realize, hey, we got a pitch here, round robin, nobody else is doing this, one true champion. And now you're starting to see that come back. The league is playing defense. They've got defensive-minded uh, head coaches, whether it's Dave Aranda, I love that hire. Uh, West Virginia could have a great defense as well. We know what Iowa State does, Gary Patterson, TCU. Uh, so I, I'm encouraged that this is not just a league that is, you know, the air raid offense anymore. It's not. Absolutely. And I hope that college football fans around the country with no, no Big Ten and no Pac-12 are watching more Big 12 and saying, hey, this conference has diversity in it in terms of styles of play. And, uh, you know, they got some boys that can play defense too. Yeah, no, I'm right there with you. When you consider uh, Oklahoma, Texas, Iowa State, Kansas State, Baylor will all run to pass. At least all those, yeah. right, that will run to pass. I, w- I think West Virginia might be headed in that direction just a little bit too. TCU, I mean, th- there's there's a bunch of offenses that are, are leveling out and balance is, is key here, and I think that's going to help this league pretty uh, significantly. But what you said about the top is extremely interesting and accurate uh, at this point. Spencer Rattler comes in the head, you know, as the, the, the starting quarterback at Oklahoma. The kid's got all the talent in the world and all the swagger in the world, and if you ask him right now who is going to be the greatest quarterback in the history of football, I'm not talking college football. I mean football. At the end of the day, who was going to be the greatest quarterback in the history of football? He will say his name. That's who he is. So I, I have a feeling that Spencer Rattler will be great at OU. I just don't know if he'll be great this season. And now you consider uh, the depth chart release yesterday. They have a true freshman left tackle playing. Anton Harrison is an incredible athlete and had a future first-round draft pick written all over him when he was recruited to OU. I just didn't expect to see him this season. There's some questions. You know, Alex Grinch goes from 120th in defense to top 35. What the hell does this year look like? Like, how can you improve? You improved, uh, you know, 300% last year. How can you improve that much this year? And you lost some key players also. Some questions around Oklahoma. Some questions around Texas. I talked to Chip Brown uh, earlier this week, and I, my thing with Chip is, is always, who is Texas? Who is it? I don't understand what's happened. Like, I, I took the field with Texas, Pete, and those dudes would scare the shit out of you just by taking the <laughs> field, right? There's this, they had this chant or song that they sang as they came down a tunnel about Texas boys playing Texas football, and it was 
330-pound road grader offensive lineman. It was Marcus Tubbs, who was bigger than life playing defensive tackle. Casey Hampton playing nose guard. It was 240-pound running backs that you could hear them run the football down the field like a thoroughbred. Like, what has happened to the identity of the Longhorns that are located in a state that's whole heartbeat screams football every single time it beats? I have no clue what to expect out of them, right? No clue. And then there's Mike Gundy's situation. What the fuck? Who knows what he's going to do this year uh, with not talking to his team during quarantine? I mean, there's just a lot going on in those top three teams that that really question the ability to put a real contender out there. Well, that's why I I think this could be the kind of year where uh, the Big 12, like, has four teams finish seven and two. uh, Two of them will play in the conference title game but no one's going to the college football playoff. I mean, maybe, who knows, with no Big Ten and no uh, Pac-12, maybe somebody slips in there. But I could see Oklahoma State, Oklahoma, Texas, and Iowa State all ending up 7-2, and two, and then you're down to tiebreakers to figure out who's playing um, at, at Jerry World in middle of December because that's how topsy-turvy, bizarre. I mean, you're right, the Rattler thing, like, he, he's probably going to be a stud, but you don't have as many non-conference games, redshirt freshman year, most bizarre offseason in a in – a, you know, century for, for college football. So there's that angle. Uh, you know, Texas is Texas. Do you buy them? Do you not? Two new coordinators. Oklahoma State, the Gundy thing, you hit spot on. I mean, what the hell is going on right. there? How, how jacked up are they going to be to play for that guy? And then Iowa State. I like Iowa State, but I liked them last year, and they couldn't win the close game. So right. how is that going to fall this year? Right. All right, Pete, give me the, uh, give me the top three teams. Uh, who are you going to see in a, in a Big 12 championship this year? All right, so uh, I'm going to go in terms of how the Big 12 standings play out. I'm going OU, Oklahoma State, okay. uh, and then I'm going to go Texas, Iowa State in a, in a tie for third. But once again, I mean, I, I see OU, um, you know, looking at an 8-1 season. I could see Oklahoma State finishing up with a 7-2 and two because it just seems like Mike Gundy, he always loses a game, I feel like, that he's not supposed to lose. Absolutely. So uh, that's going to happen this year. It's just – it's there's no way it's not going to happen. And then I see Texas, Iowa State, you know, kind of finishing. Maybe it's 7-2, maybe it's 6-3, and three, but they'll be just on the outside looking in. So I like a, a Bedlam rematch in the Big 12 title game, and um, I'm pretty excited uh, about this year. I know it's going to be a weird year. I know it's, you know, not the year that we all wanted, but we're getting football, and I know some games have already been canceled, but I think that this league has built in enough bye weeks where these games will get played and, um, you know, we're going to have a conference championship game either December 12th or December 19th, I think it is. And I'm pretty excited about that, Sam. I'm, 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 I'm pumped, man. What, what about uh, Baylor? Like, I, I, I am – maybe I am I, – I like football teams. I like football players. I, I You know, th- this game could be played by – elite athletes or grunts that just want to get in fist fights. And I feel like a year ago, Baylor found themselves in the top 10 because they were the toughest team in college football. And I will, I will die on that hill. Toughest team in college football was in Waco, Texas. They lose Matt rule, but Charlie Brewer is still there and they hired within the staff. And I just feel like maybe that heartbeat that Matt rule instilled in that team might be still the beat that's going on now. And I, I'm having a hard time understanding why people are just kind of dismissing the fact that Baylor did it a year ago with a team that wasn't necessarily packed full of elite star athletes as much as they just had, you know, 40-something kids that wanted to get out there and hit you in the mouth. And they won a bunch of games doing that. 
And I wonder if they're going to be able to recreate some of that this season. Maybe not to the tune of being a top 10 team, but I think Baylor might beat a team or two they shouldn't this year. Well, I, I, here's here's how I look at the Bears. I, I think they will. I still think they're middle of the pack. I mean, last year, everything just broke right for, for this team. I, I think about, you know, they, they held on for, what, a two-point win against Iowa State. They had three-point wins over uh, West Virginia and Texas Tech. Um, you know, they had an overtime win against uh, TCU. I think it was triple overtime, if I recall right. So I, I agree, Sam. Uh, that team was as uh, – Matt Rule got as much out of that team as anybody could have. But think about this for Matt Rule. This guy went from one win to 11 wins, right? Yes. He never beat a top 25 team. Wow. Never. That's crazy stat. That is crazy when you think about it. Now, he beat last year everyone he was supposed to. I, you know, he should have beat OU in that November game that, you know, they blew. But, I, you know, it's amazing what they did without really getting a, a big-time signature win, uh, you know, because they beat Texas last year in November. They were already unranked um, by that point. So they, they just haven't had that big-time uh, win yet. And then, you know, like everything else in football, the ball bounces one way one year, bounces the other way the next year. That stuff always evens out, those close games. Um, and I just see that evening out a little bit this year, losing some big pieces on defense. And then Dave Aranda, new head coach, no spring football. I think that hurts them. So I love the team. I love what you've said about them. I agree. They'll win games. People don't expect them to win. But I still think it's, it's as of right now, a middle-of-the-pack team in the Big 12. That's the voice of Pete Mundo, owner of HeartlandCollegeSports.com and program director KCMO, also morning show host. You can hear him there in Kansas City. Pete, thank you so much for your time, my friend. Uh, this was exactly what I was looking for once again, season two of the Sam Ace Podcast. Just a little bit of a different feel. I appreciate the conversation, and I'm really hoping we can talk again soon. Yeah, I'm happy to do it uh, anytime, man. Thanks for having me, and uh, we'll chat soon. Thanks, Pete. The Sam Mays Podcast, all in, inside OU, OKC82, and intimate with TV's Jerry can be found in all the places you listen to your podcast. Seriously, just subscribe. You don't even have to listen. 